Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. For this episode of The Missing Chapter, we're going to take a look into the heroism and courageousness of escaped slaves. And when you think about the stories of escaped slaves, I bet your mind immediately goes to certain people in terms, maybe Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman, or Sojourner Truth. But what about something that maybe has gone unnoticed in this area of history? Court cases. Well, court cases over the issue of slavery were actually very common in the 1800s, many of whom were actually well known. But in this episode of The Missing Chapter, we're not talking about the most popular, the most well-known, but the most forgotten and obscure, because that's what we do. Find out more about this court case of twists, turns, escapes, and disguises on this episode of The Missing Chapter. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I'm Phil Horner here with Phil Schaff. Phil, we are brewing Charleston Blend from the Charleston Coffee Exchange in Charleston, South Carolina from our boy Chris Bauer. He was nice enough to bring that back. One of two bags that he uh, gifted us with from his spring break. And we have enjoyed uh, both of those thoroughly. It's very good. Um, Phil, it's August. Yep. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of reaching the halfway point of summer, which I don't like to think about. But you know, your mind starts to have that tendency where you're thinking going back to school. I, I'm sure every parent out there, every kid listening knows what I'm talking about. Phil, we have something very exciting to, to, to look forward to in September and that we're doing an elective on how to produce podcasts. We're That's actually right. going to be working yeah. with students at Canada Harry and in neighboring uh, districts as part of a distance learning course on how to do um, their very own podcast. And you and I are very excited about that. You know, this has obviously been a very rewarding experience for us. And it's kind of a, a, sorry for the cliche, but another chapter in where we are taking this. Yeah. And, and one of the things we loved about season two, um, as we start to wrap it up, is the fact that we had a lot of students on. Um, you know, we did the John Steglin episode. Uh, we had some some guest speakers come on, of course, and uh, Chris Bench, the curator at uh, Strong National Museum, which is a, a great episode. One of my most enjoyable, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're, we're kind of moving into the to the next season, of course. And, you know, you hit that August point and you think to yourself, gosh, you know, it, see, it, summer's going fast. Um, I wonder how fast season three would going to go. Right. And, and we just noticed just by chance, we didn't really, you know, think about this. But as we wrap up season two, we're closing in on our 100th episode. Yeah, it's crazy. 100th episode of the Missing Chapter podcast. So, Thank you for listening and, and continue to listen. We are having a great time and hopefully you guys are enjoying the stories that we're bringing to you. Yeah, absolutely. Another good one today too, Phil. Yes, sir. So today, uh, as we talked about in the intro, um, you know, when we, there's been lots of stories of heroism and, and courageousness when it comes to uh, escaping slavery. And I think uh, we've all seen uh, documentaries and movies and written and, and read books on on this topic. But I think this one, this one really stood out to me. And I Listen, as history tells us, there, there's tons of escaped slaves. Uh, but as we know now, you know, escaping to the north wasn't always a guarantee of safety for former slaves. Mm-hmm. But it was their only hope. Right. So for this episode, we're looking specifically into one person. Uh, his name is Lewis Williams. OK, so according to sources from the University of Kentucky, Lewis Williams was a slave 
on the property of a man by the name of Alexander Marshall. Okay. okay? So we're talking 1850 uh, when the fugitive slave law was passed. Lewis escaped from Marshall's property in Fleming County and ended up fleeing to Columbus, Ohio, in hopes of pursuing something, of course, we take for granted every day, which is, of course, freedom. So you see, Ohio was a free state, but the fugitive slave law required runaway slaves to be sent back to their owners, which, of course, makes sense because of this law. Ohio officials required owners to prove that the escapee was actually their slave before sending them back. Okay. Okay. So Lewis Williams not only found his way to Columbus, Ohio, but actually managed to live for three years, basically as a free man. Wow. So, I mean, that in in and of itself is a great story and and some of the nuances of that. But I think if we were able to ask him right now, I'm sure he would tell us that even though he was, quote, free, is temporary freedom really freedom at all? And I'm sure he would say no, because he was just always wondering and always curious about someone being hot on his tail. And it weighed him down daily, knowing that, you know, his newfound freedom, three years in even, could be taken away at any given moment. And unfortunately, this is where the story turns. And Phil, I, I took a page out of your book. I did some quick Google searches as you were uh, as you were talking. We're talking roughly about 125 miles. Correct. 125 yes. miles, which I think we lose perspective. It's a two and a half hour drive, right. you know, in, in 2022. So if you're a fugitive slave, you're scared, you're running through you know, woods and whatever the terrain is, um, that had to be a pretty harrowing experience. And like you said, I mean, it's, if you're free for a day, you think to yourself, am I going to be free tomorrow? Right. And if you have really the experience of slavery and that's all you've grown up knowing, the fear of going back to that has to be overwhelming. Absolutely. It's not like you can flip a switch and say, Hey, I'm free. And here we go. You know, um, you know, and then you're, you're trying to escape, like you said, like, how do you get to 125 miles right. away? I mean, you jump on trains, do you, you know, hitch rides, what it, and really they're at, at, at that point at the expense of anyone who's willing to help. Um, but here's where the story turns a little bit. So a federal marshal named uh, Manuel Dryden caught up with Lewis Williams in Columbus in 1853. So his, mm-hmm. his short lived three year stint of freedom uh, will most likely end here. And for most, that may be where the story ends, but not for Lewis Williams. So fortunately for him, there was a local abolitionist uh, that found about his capture and contacted Cincinnati attorney uh, John Joliffe, who immediately made plans to stop Dryden in Cincinnati by issuing, which I think this is absolutely brilliant, kidnapping charges. So kind of a go around of the slave law, you know, so rather than being prosecuted as a slave, he's being thought of as an individual with rights and his rights were being violated by, of course, being kidnapped. I mean, this is awesome. Yeah, that is pretty that smart. Is pretty smart. You yeah. know, you're trying to circumnavigate these laws with other already existing laws. Yes. And letting the at least putting the courts in a position where, OK, yeah. which one are you going to, you know, abide by? Exactly. So Joliffe took Dryden uh, and he told him, hey, listen, you have to prove that Lewis Williams was a slave before taking him back to Kentucky. And of course, a hearing ensued. So. He took him up on the challenge. A three-day trial begins, hmm. okay, with Joliffe. And ready? Here, here's a little name drop. Future President Rutherford, excuse me, Rutherford B. Hayes. Interesting. Defends Lewis. Side wow. note. Yeah. And I knew you were going to ask because this was kind of something that I didn't, I didn't anticipate seeing. Um, future President Hayes was a, a defense attorney for 40 slaves hmm. after the slave law of 1850. Um, he emerged from the Civil War as a brigadier general, war hero, had been wounded five times, member of Congress, 
Uh, let's see, he was in Congress from 1865 to 67, consistently supported Republican Reconstruction, uh, which included the 14th Amendment. So hmm. he is now defending Lewis Williams, okay, as, as well as uh, their, the main attorney there, uh, John Jolip. So now here we are, Lewis Williams' status is debated in court in somewhere in Cincinnati, okay? As word spread, though. A lot of local abolitionists heard of this situation and wanted to support Lewis Williams' efforts to seek freedom, as well as his attorney, John Jolip. One of these local supporters, though, was a preacher named William Troy. Okay. Okay. Troy sounded the alarm, rallied up a huge legion of abolitionists, and they eventually packed the courtroom well beyond capacity. The support Lewis Williams received was unbelievable. It was overwhelming. But here's the twist. They weren't there just for moral support. This is all part of a plan. The number of people that showed up <clears throat> was genuine and sincere, but it was part of a bigger scheme. William Troy, quoted in the book, Hairbreadth Escapes from Slavery, stated, at last we concluded that our best plan would be to crowd the courtroom and get the prisoner free by some strategy. And that strategy, Phil, as daring as and brilliant as it was, had some twists and turns itself. And we'll discuss that after the break. Over the last two seasons, we've enjoyed bringing unknown stories from history to you every weekend. Now it's your turn to bring a story to us. Every town in every corner of the world has a story, and its history is our history. Tell us the story about your hometown and what makes it special or unique. We're calling it Hometown History. Who or what is your town known for? Tell us your hometown story either in an email or a voice message from our Facebook page. Phil and I will choose one hometown's history to research and profile in a full episode of Season 3 of The Missing Chapter. And we'll contact you to be a part of it. Every hometown has a story. The next chapter we add to the history textbooks could be yours. You know, Phil, it's always interesting. I wish you could actually sit down and talk with some of our listeners and see where their mind is going. Um, because where my mind is going is actually to the Amistad case. Oh, that's a good Where in, I believe it was 1841, you had the Amistad uh, slave ship. Mm -hmm. that made it to the United States, they'd rebelled. And you had this question of, okay, what would happen to them now? And mm -hmm. you had a future U.S. president in John Quincy Adams who was defending them. Right. And, you know, here you are on the cusp of civil war. I mean, the height of slavery versus abolition in the United States. And you have another case. And it's, it's not just an ordinary case. It's a case where everyone looks at this um, as, all right, well, this is going to be the pinnacle of where this debate and this argument is headed. And you have Rutherford V. Hayes, future president, here to defend, um, you know, the, the former slave. So right. I just, there, it's, it's just interesting how history has these events where you can draw comparisons to. And that's, that's where my mind went, Phil. That, that's a really good parallel. I never even really thought about that until you mentioned it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think to, to kind of do a little bit of a follow-up, I ended kind of mid-quote uh, with William Troy. And I want to go back to that for a second because he does continue to say this. Because um, remember, you know, they've packed the court at this point. There's tons of people there. It is genuine, but part of that bigger plan. This is what he says about that bigger plan. 
there was a man in our company who was very like the prisoner in complexion. And it was arranged that he should occupy the prisoner's place temporarily while he should put his own hat on the prisoner's head and thus allow him to make his way to freedom. So here we go. The title hopefully is now going to start to make some sense. He purposely brought someone that looked just like Lewis Williams uh, to take his place in the stand and sneak Williams out. All he had to do was wait for a signal. Okay, so William Troy in this very quote continues. The wink given Lewis was understood. The hat was then placed upon Lewis Williams' head and he immediately moved slowly out of the chair. And this other person took his place in the chair. The attention of the marshal at this time was attracted by certain points in dispute between the counsel and the prisoner by this time had made his way through the crowd and on his hands and knees to the door and out he slipped and made it to the forest. He went as though he was on the most urgent errand. When the point in dispute was partially settled, the marshal missed the prisoner. He exclaimed, where's the boy? Some person standing at the door uh, out of which the boy had passed said, the child left some time ago, no use to look. Huh. This was quite tantalizing to the marshal, but the fact was the boy was gone and great excitement consequently prevailed throughout the city. So someone, at least when I initially read this, someone might not believe uh, that the marshals would somehow be this distracted. I mean, come on. But as Preacher Williams describes, the marshals were more concerned really about the overflow of people inside the courtroom than they were about the person on trial. And and Phil, this is at the beginning of the trial. Did the trial right. even have a chance to get underway? Now, from what I've seen, it was, it was pretty much... Uh, at the onset. At the onset. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but either way, the visual of Lewis Williams crawling out of the courtroom on his hands and knees. Oh, my God. It's nothing short of amazing. Honestly. Yeah. Pretty amusing. Right. Yeah. You know, it's great because you have this initial story and you're like, that in and of itself is interesting. Yeah. He's a forgotten chapter. But then, really, that happened next. You know, you go from, boy, that's going to be a really interesting thing to see how it plays out in court to, they just managed to have this person escape. Right. They had a plan in place from the courthouse. To freedom again. That, that's a great point. And in the very beginning of the episode, we said, hey, listen, this guy is just, there's all sorts of twists and turns uh, with this. And, and we would assume that once an ex-slave is caught, that's where his story ends. Uh, you know, obviously he escaped the freedom. His story didn't end there. He ends up getting caught. So then you assume his story ends there and it doesn't. He gets a, a future president and uh, John Jolip, the attorney to, to sit in the courtroom with him. And then you have abolitionists come forward and sneak him out. Well, here's another twist. Another twist. Yeah. It's not done. Not done. Crazy enough, this works, obviously. The switcheroo was successful, but the escape to freedom is still, of course, left in the air. Lewis Williams escapes the courtroom, but where where does he go next? Mm. You know, um, He can't just you know hop on a train, get out of Dodge. He ended up using Preacher William Troy's house as a hideout. So pretty, I mean, pretty bold act. And it puts Troy in considerable danger, of course, because, quote, keeping or harboring a fugitive slave is a violation of the law of the federal government, punishable by six months in jail and a $1,000 fine. We're talking, you know, 19th century here, so $1,000 is, mm -hmm. is a pretty significant amount of money. Um, but despite this risk, Troy feels that the moral laws of his faith demand that he break the legal law of the land, and so he continues to harbor Lewis Williams. Uh, quote here, sustained in my act by a clear conscience and as i believe by the favor of god that's his that's his full motivation for keeping and harboring williams um immediately word got out that william troy had a hand in the old switcheroo and uh, was surrounded by the police as expected but here we go again the story doesn't stop here the preacher springs into action 
goes to a neighbor's house and asks for some of her clothes. Mm. Uh, yeah, a little odd. So we can immediately turn to Lewis Williams and turn him into a woman. Disguise him up, uh, get him past some officers who he is anticipating will be hot on their trails uh, pretty shortly. And they were. He threw the clothes on him and disguised him, even down to putting a bonnet on him, as well as a petticoat to kind of push out the bottom okay. portion of the dress uh, to further camouflage and conceal his not only his identity, but his, his you know manly physicality. Williams then practiced even walking like a woman before escaping. You could almost visualize this taking place, being in front of a mirror and having him like, hey, am I, how am I looking here? Sure enough, the police began to surround the house. Lewis Williams slips out the back door. And the, the description of this is a great visual. Skipping directly past the watching policeman and eventually found a train to Canada. So you can almost see him, you know, wearing this wearing these new found women's clothing and assuming this identity and like frolicking past right. the, they had no idea. No. And this is probably the point in the story too, where the stakes are the highest because the argument he had before of kidnapping. Right. Well, that's out the door now it because is. he's, he's now escaping those, you know, he's fleeing from the courthouse. So he, he'll be tried differently for a different crime. True. So if he doesn't escape past the the police, it's going to be sure death or returning to the South. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So as, as William Troy states, Lewis in one disguise or another was handed along from friend to friend. Because you, you, Hopping on a train to Canada sounds easy now. Right. Uh, right. But like you said, I mean, it, all, all stakes are off. So he was about three weeks making the journey of 300 miles across the state of Ohio. At the end of the three weeks from the disguise uh, I gave Lewis in Cincinnati, says Troy, he one day walked into the editorial room of William Howard Day in Cleveland, the land um, in that state of the Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. And he was put upon a steamer and was safely landed in Canada, the only land of the free. He now lives in Canada and in the enjoyment of those rights which belong to all men, states Troy. So Lewis Williams' story seems to halt, mm. from what I can see, pretty much rapidly from that um, from from our historical end, at least, since we don't have much information about him following his making it to Canada. However, for him, I mean, I think we can all agree. I'm sure this, his story, probably at that point, finding his his true freedom, his story had just begun. Uh, what's remarkable to me, though, is that his story didn't at, end at the you know being caught right. or escaping or being caught yet again, but because of the preacher, uh, the you know the bravery of that preacher, William Troy. So I think the story isn't just about one person. It's about the bravery of both Lewis Williams and William Troy and the community as a whole. Right, the people in the courthouse. Absolutely. So preacher Troy says that he wants to teach his children, quote, to be guided by principle and not by prejudice, by regard for worth rather than by respect for the accident of the length of the hair, the shape of the nose, or the hue of the skin. And I think, Phil, anyone who hears this story will most certainly recognize the heart of this preacher and the bravery of a resilient Lewis Williams. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks. <laughs>